Hello, and welcome to Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation's podcast, Let's Talk About Lung Cancer. Here, we delve into all things lung cancer, from different treatments to how people living with the disease cope, both physically and mentally, and the things that they've learned along the way. Lorraine Dallas, the Director of Information, Prevention and Support, is joined for this special edition podcast by our Ambassador and Trustee, Cathy Brokenshire, whose husband James was an MP and a Cabinet Minister in the UK Government at Westminster. Sadly, James died of lung cancer in October 2021. Since then, Cathy has worked with the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation to advocate for greater awareness of lung cancer, better care for patients and ways to improve early diagnosis of the disease. We also welcome Dr. Sammy Quaife, who has an interest in psychological aspects of screening in her role as a research scientist. And our final guest is Professor David Baldwin, a consultant physician who's had a key role in making the case for lung cancer screening and improving the pathway. David, we are delighted to have you to comment on the issue of screening and targeted screening for people with a potential of developing lung cancer. We are aware that you have spent many years working in this field and helping build both the evidence and support for screening for lung cancer. Can you tell us how you feel now that we have an agreement that targeted screening will be available across the UK? Well, I think it's been a long journey to getting the to the point where the UK National Screening Committee are completely convinced that low-dose screening for lung cancer is, is a very cost-effective and clinically effective uh, intervention. Um, they have some very, very tough standards that they apply uh, and require a really high level of evidence. The clinical evidence was really, really firm at that point. The next step then was the cost effectiveness. And that's where uh, a lot of work was done by all of the colleagues that have that have been uh, so hardworking in this whole area. Uh, they were able to provide us with a lot of information about what was happening in modern sc- screening from studies like the Summit trial, the Yorkshire Lung Cancer Screening trial, uh, the Manchester pilot and Liverpool pilots, the, and UKLS, they all inputted into the, um, the correctly uh, inputting into the, the health economics model, uh, which although it, was, it, it needed some extra work, it did produce some, some very uh, good uh, health economics figures, which then convinced the uh, UK National Com- Screening Committee by the comment really was that that there is a it's extremely unlikely that CT screening is is not cost effective. So a little bit of a negative way of putting it. But you see, it when before you embark on on a very what is going to be a very expensive uh, program, uh, or only only in keeping with other screening programs, but nevertheless expensive, uh, you really do have to have good evidence, and that's what we've got. So we're here. Sammy, what do you think the opportunities are for for this national rollout and what would you like to see happen next? Yeah, thanks, Lorraine. Um, It's really, really fantastic news. It's based on really solid, rigorous evidence over years and years that screening can save lives and it can help detect lung cancer earlier among communities that have experienced sort of poor health outcomes um, traditionally. So I think in terms of the impact and opportunities, it would be, I mean, 
saving lives from lung cancer um, and also helping individuals live well who have lung cancer, reducing the inequalities in cancer outcomes that we see across the UK and also supporting a sort of change in, in the way that the public perceive lung cancer as something that can be lived well with, that can be treated and hopefully that will have a sort of ripple effect in terms of people feeling able to come forward if they have symptoms that they're concerned about, consider a screening offer if that's right for them and you know support others through through that diagnosis so hopefully lots of positive changes. Kathy, how do you feel about that decision? I'm absolutely delighted. Um, I know this is what James had been calling for sort of back from 2018 and he'd be chuffed to bits with it and it's been agreed. It's now the getting it implemented, but it's it's a tremendous news and it will save lives and, and that's so important and it will avoid other families going through what we've gone through. You know, we miss James on a daily basis, you know, and James isn't there to share the happy moments that we've got. Um, and if I can, as I said earlier, stop other families from having that, then that's just tremendous. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, and screening will help that. Our Ask the Nurse service provides information, advice and support to everyone affected by lung cancer. Whether you want to know more about a type of treatment, what support is available near you, or just someone to lend an ear, we are here for you. Call 0800 358 7200 or email lungcancerhelp at roycastle.org. Over the last few years, the the momentum and indeed the the enthusiasm for screening for lung cancer has developed at quite a pace. Can I first ask you, Sammy, if you can tell us a bit more about who might be able to have screening for lung cancer and why this particular group of people are being invited to be screened? Yeah, of course. So um, first of all, the aim of lung cancer screening is to find cancer at a really early stage, even before someone experiences any symptoms, um, because finding it earlier means it's much easier to treat. Um, and often lung cancers can start off very, very tiny in the lungs um, and not really alert the person with that to any problems or any symptoms. So um, using CT scans can take a really detailed picture of the lungs in order to find those. So lung cancer screening would be offered in a targeted way. Um, And by targeted, I mean offering it to people who are most likely to go on to develop lung cancer either now or in the future. Um, And so um, this is people who fulfill sort of particular criteria. So they're aged between 55 to 74, and they have a history of smoking tobacco either now or in the past. Um, and often other factors relating to their medical or family history are taken into consideration as well. Um, David, can I ask you a bit more about what we might be able to do both to improve early diagnosis for people who are perhaps not covered by the screening programme but still have a likelihood of developing lung cancer? And also to, to talk more about why at the moment it wouldn't be effective to include people in the programme who don't have these known high risk factors. Yes, well, it's 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 a very important question, and um, I think that the the very low risk group, the people that have never smoked, currently would likely suffer on balance more harm than benefit if they were screened regularly for for lung cancer. That said. Um, we do have um, more modelling to do. We need to understand what 
if you have a proportion in a population at a certain risk, um, how smoking cessation in that population improves the cost effectiveness and allows you then to, to allow people into the screening program at overall lower risk uh, in a cost effective way. A lot, a lot of this is about cost. Uh, you know, you, you can't get away from that, unfortunately, with a with the NHS, the, the way it runs. And if we didn't have an NHS, then it would be very inequitable. The people with money would be able to afford it and the others wouldn't. So, it, you know, in, in some ways, we have to be, be, be constrained by that. Uh, but dealing with the very low risk group, but current, currently, even with cost, the new cost effectiveness modeling, um, those that we need to know more about that group. We need to know, we need to understand more about uh, exactly uh, when the cancer develops, uh, whether there's any other risk factors that we can identify that might um, allow us to screen people that are, who are both relatively young and at low risk. Um, all of these sort of things need to be looked at. And I know there's a lot of research being proposed at the moment in the never smoking group. I'm really interested also in the in the group that are, that are relatively minimal smokers that have made important health choices by getting kicking the habit. Um, they're still at risk, albeit lower, but also they have a better life expectancy in general. Um, and these people could benefit an awful lot more um, if cancer is detected. So there's lots of work to do here. Um, there's going to be some immediate modelling work done in the next um, year or so, which may well suggest a change to the uh, entry criteria to, for screening. But um, again, that's work to be done. Sammy, would you agree? So yeah, CT um, scans are sort of lots of different x-rays that are joined together by a computer to produce a 3D image. So they're really good at finding those very small cancers um, before they've gone to do any harm. Thank you. And Cathy, your husband, James, was very passionate and became an advocate for screening, even although he himself might not have been eligible. So why was James so enthusiastic about lung cancer screening and what have you been doing to support that cause? James was a politician and he was a government minister uh, and he was dealing with that quite happily and enjoying life. Um, and then unfortunately he coughed up um, some blood um, and it was led or diagnosis was that he had lung cancer. Um, and the minute that was apparent he's like well this is another cause I need to help because that's basically into politics in the first place was to help and make a difference and for him this was just something else that he could help and influence so James obviously became an advocate as you say um, and spoke about lung cancer on the floor of the House of Commons uh, and raised a debate on it and he was the first to do that um, and unfortunately three and a half years after his first diagnosis um, he passed away with lung cancer. It, it, you know, at, at one stage we got it early enough, and unfortunately during the COVID years, it came back again, um, and we weren't able to do anything about it. Although we've tried, um, sadly he passed away. And I'm just passionate about raising awareness and trying to bring in the screening that he was um, calling from, as Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation has been doing for many a year. Um, and I'm just willing and able to help, so I'm here. Um, I think in the context of lung cancer, um, the views of lung cancer are very negative um, and some of the experiences um, that people have had have been. So it's with the kind of introduction or possibility on the horizon of a screening programme, um, 
some people find it hard understandably to see how screening could ever benefit them because they feel that perhaps their risk is too high and they're past the point of no return um, they think that lung cancer is inevitably something that would um, lead to them dying um, they think that treatment is um, is something that might prolong uh, life but maybe not give quality of life um, or maybe never ever be something that um, is curative um, and so I think it's about helping um, spread awareness that actually there are good outcomes for lung cancer now. Um, there are um, options for curative treatment at an early stage and that screening really does help find um, lung cancers at that early stage. And I guess the other thing to say, so that's sort of around people's perceptions. The other thing to say around is um, Actually, some people might really want to go, go to their GP or they might really want to go for screening, but factors in their environment outside of their control might mean that's very difficult. So, um, you know, this can mean, you know, taking time off work, having other responsibilities, care responsibilities that kind of take over, um, you know, not being able to afford travel and things like that. So I think in supporting awareness of different opportunities for earlier detection we also need to provide you know practical support that helps those in communities that are less able to you know access um, these sorts of services have you seen the latest edition of inspire magazine each issue features inspirational stories latest lung cancer news medical and research updates and the work being carried out by roy castle lung cancer foundation read the latest issue now at roycastle.org Sally. Real progress is being made for lung cancer. And it is, you know, screening could be such a huge game changer for lung cancer, and um, both in terms of improving um, survival and living better with lung cancer, but also, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of inequalities, into really making a difference um, for communities who experience a much higher, you know, proportion of diagnoses and, and poor outcomes. So yeah, I'm I'm really optimistic about that going hand in hand with communication to kind of you know show people that that um, early detection works. Kathy, what's your view? Definitely I mean I've, I've said before time run out for James and science wasn't quite quick enough um, and there seems to be improvements on a monthly basis with a new drug or a new way of doing something and just within my work um, that I've done in the last year with Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation I've heard so many positive stories of people that have been diagnosed um, and they're still here today. Um, so I'm deeply encouraged. Um, and it's it's just getting that awareness and getting that message out there. And it's trying to get people to take the invites if they're offered. Yeah. And I understand that you had the opportunity to go and see some of the research work that was being done uh, in, in Liverpool. And how did you find that, Cathy? Definitely. I mean, I hadn't realised, obviously, since the conception that some of the data and the statistics that had been taken since the early 90s. And obviously, with um, the way that AI has gone today, we're able to analyse um, some of that data that's been taken all those years ago, which can only help improve um, some of the answers or help us find the answers quicker as we go along. Um, yeah, it was a truly impressive operation, walking around the labs and seeing what has been done and what is being done. Definitely. Do you think, again, there are benefits and, and opportunities on the horizon in terms of things we've heard like um, liquid biopsies, being able to test 
test somebody through blood or breath testing or other forms of testing? Well, it's a, it's a very important question. There's an awful lot of work going on in this area. But it's really important to understand that uh, that screening works by detecting cancer that is curable. Now, that sounds a bit basic, but actually what it means is it's not just about early stage. It's also about cancer that is uh, not that aggressive. Uh, if you take it to the extreme, if you had a really, really aggressive cancer, then most of the cancers wouldn't be detected because you would have to screen too frequently. And um, and of course, a very, very indolent cancer will be overdiagnosis. So it's these ones in the middle that you detect with screening. And the big issue with a lot of the blood biomarkers uh, is that they may be detecting cancer that is that is not in, associated with an improvement in the mortality rate when you treat them. And it may be that we need a different approach to those type of cancers, of course. But in screening at the moment, we we do the, the, the issue with the research is we have lots and lots of exciting, highly sensitive detecting methods that are coming out, but they may be associated with a poor prognosis. And we need to understand that more before we can say that these should be uh, adopted as a way of trying to adjust the risk profile of, of someone. Uh, it's it's very much a research area at the moment. Lots and lots of really good people involved in the research here. So we'll be seeing um, some very important information coming out. But I think in screening, one has to be at the moment quite cautious and make sure that we measure the correct things. Otherwise, we could end up um, uh, implementing something that's not doesn't do what we think it might do. And I guess one thing to sort of add there is that, of course, having said all that, lung cancer screening is an informed choice. So um, it's very right that some people might decide that lung cancer screening isn't for them. Um, there are risks for screening as well as benefits, but it's really about making sure that people who aren't taking part are making an informed choice not to do so rather than not taking part because they can't get there or because they're really worried about the fact that they're high risk means they wouldn't benefit, whereas actually, you know, they often are the most likely to benefit because that's exactly what screening is for people who who could have lung cancer and finding it early. Um, something I have learned over the last year is, and I hadn't realised, is that your lungs don't have pain receptors in them. So obviously things can be happening in your lungs and you're not aware. And I think as, as a, a Joe public, we all assume that we're, we'll kind of know we feel fine. And, you know, if there was a problem, we'd know about it. But obviously, the more I'm learning and understanding, you know, things can happen and we're not aware. So if you're offered a screening, to me, it makes perfect sense to take it. Generally speaking, if you if people are aware of the testing that's available and it comes to mind, and this is patients, relatives, GPs, everybody, really, that that there is this this approach that can be more effective then it tends to get used. Implementing a screening program is a massive undertaking and mm. um, there's so much resource and planning by so many um, fantastic people so dedicated looking at exactly every single you know piece of the pathway so um, but I think um, my take on it really is this sort of ability to perhaps shift public understanding by demonstrating lung that you know lung cancer can be treated effectively and, and people can live well with lung cancer um, and sort of helping to change that perception um, so that people feel more positively perhaps if they do think that they have a symptom about going to their doctor as well as because that's you know that will still remain the the main route through which um, people will be diagnosed will be outside screening so I think it could have sort of a ripple effect um, in terms of people's perceptions.
what we what we don't know yet, but what we'll we'll find out is just how the implementation of a national screening program will impact on how people that aren't eligible for the screening program behave, and also how the primary care physicians, pharmacists, uh, practice nurses, relatives will behave when it comes to symptoms that might indicate lung cancer. I'm hoping this is going to be a positive thing, that there'll be more help-seeking behaviour, more recognition that this could be lung cancer and an appropriate referral. What we do need to do is to, is to sort out where the chest x-ray is the appropriate test, where the scan is the appropriate first test, um, how long after a normal chest x-ray should you wait before you do another one, uh, when, when should you do a CT scan. This is all the subject of a, a, cur a current research uh, call, which, is, which a number of people are, are applying for. So we'll have more information there. I think the other thing is the the um, the participation rate, because if it's a national program, then I'm hoping that more and more people will come forward to participate that maybe haven't participated so much in the pilots, uh, although some of the participation rates are actually really good, uh, others are less so, um, but certainly better than most of the trials. So again, it's 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 about what proportion of your population at risk is actually going to participate and report back that they've had this scan it was painless and it was free and everybody everything went very smoothly hopefully um and then every now and then you get the get somebody who uh is a relative as we we know uh who has someone who's been diagnosed with early stage lung cancer in the screening program so that's also uh, a method by which this thing gets disseminated around uh, a variety of different routes not only the community but also outside that the healthcare professionals it's, it's it's obviously our job to make sure that this works very well and that's why we need to do this the the program at a very high standard which we're also working very very hard on to make sure that we've got a really high quality uh, program and when ray donnelly set up the charity you know thinking of screening people was a pipe dream um you know and we've brought on and lobbied the um no smoking ban and and, and implemented that in public places um, but obviously people's survival rates are so much better than what they were 20, 30 years ago. So we are making progress. Um, and it's all thanks to the hard work that you guys have been putting in behind the scenes all these years. Um, I feel a bit of a fraud coming in in the last year saying I want screening. Um, and it's now been agreed because I know there's been a lot of hard work behind the, the scenes, but um, we're all here to fight the fight and to help everybody. And if we can have more outcomes of people living healthier and longer, um, it, it's, it's a win, definitely, definitely. For support and advice on any of the topics raised in this podcast, visit roycastle.org. The Let's Talk About Lung Cancer podcast is out every fortnight. Past episodes are available to download on all major podcast suppliers. Don't forget to like and subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode.